Open your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 6, week 2 of our look at prayer. The series is entitled Talking with God. I heard a story about three ministers that were in one of their offices and a cable worker, utility worker, was in the office doing some work and he overheard a conversation where the three ministers were talking about their most successful posture in prayer. The first one said, well, I find when I kneel, I get a lot of prayer done. The second one said, no, I need to walk around and have my hands just held high to heaven, and then I can really pray. And the third one said, well, for me, it's on my face, prostrate on the ground. And the cable worker said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. My best prayer happened when I was upside down hanging from a utility pole. That's what we're going to talk about today, getting real about prayer. We try to make prayer about formula and posture, very similar to what Hebrew prayer had become in the time of Christ. We saw last week how the teaching of the Lord's Prayer came into being. The disciples, men who had been raised in the greatest prayer tradition in history, so much of their life spent in synagogues and in the temple, praying. When they were with Jesus, he would often go away and pray. They'd watch his connection with God. And Scripture says it finally reached a point where they said urgently, teach us, Lord, to pray. And the Greek word there is, teach us now. Consider that again. These men that should have been the ones that taught the whole world how to pray, what they saw in Jesus was so different that they realized they didn't know the first thing about it. And so as we come to this passage, Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to be is our primary passage now for the next several weeks, we see Jesus taking them to school about prayer. And he begins with some correction, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that's what we're going to study today, but let's continue on. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus starts his teaching by doing some corrective work. This teaching in Matthew 6 is set in the Sermon on the Mount which we are going to study starting the week after Easter. 
This series will carry us into Palm Sunday, then there'll be Easter Sunday, and then we're going to do a whole study of the Sermon on the Mount that's going to carry us through the rest of the year. So it's going to be an awesome year in God's Word from the great teacher himself. The Sermon on the Mount can be divided to Jesus saying these phrases, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So the Sermon on the Mount in many ways is not only a teaching of what is true, but a corrective of concepts that were wrong that had found their way into the thinking of even the people of God. And so it follows form that Jesus would begin his teaching of prayer to say, the way you think about it, the way you've seen it, is missing the mark. When he talks about these two groups that we're not to be like, he first of all talks about the hypocrites. Now in Jesus' teaching, who were the hypocrites? Yeah, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the only group he ever expressed anger towards. Whitewashed sepulchers, he said. Outwardly pure, but inwardly wicked. They were hypocrites. He said, they've got it wrong. Your religious leaders have it wrong. And then the second group are the pagans. Pagans are everyone else outside of the Jewish people. We use that word today as derogatory. It was actually just a religious designation. In the broad sense, when Jesus and when the writers of the epistles refer to the pagans, they're referring to religiously lost people who don't have a real relationship with God, and therefore their prayer is this attempt by a repetition to reach out to God, but in the end it's futile. They find some meaning in the act itself and confuse that with a real connection with the divine. I'm going to share with you three things that come out of this teaching as correctives. And they're important, but I want you to understand, they are not in any way intended to be the path to prayer. They're correctives. They're trying to get prayer from ritual to real. We want to get real about prayer. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to do. So how do we get real? Well, there's three things. And the first thing that we see is that we're to pray secretly. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner or in the temple. They prayed beautiful prayers. But it was clear that they weren't praying for the ear of God. They were praying for the ear of the passers-by or the worshipers at the temple. Jesus says they pray for the ears of men, and so they already have their reward. In other words, that kind of prayer is never going to be rewarded by God because it's not the goal of that prayer. That prayer is to impress people. That's all the reward you're going to get because it's not real prayer. As opposed to that, Jesus says, enter into your closet, your storeroom. That was, in most homes, the only room that was closed off to the public. Every other room was open. There were no doors. Jesus isn't saying the only legitimate prayer is in your storeroom. It's symbolic. What is he really saying? To me, the big deal here is that if we don't pray privately, then we're not prayers. If we only pray when other people are listening, then we're not really people of prayer. It's not to say that all prayer is private. In fact, the Lord's Prayer itself is plural, right? Our Father who art in heaven, not my Father. Give us this day our daily bread. There is a place for corporate prayer and public prayer. He's not saying those prayers don't matter. What he's saying is, if I'm not a person who has an active, private, personal prayer life, then I'm not a prayer. 
Everything else is just for show. That's his point. And so when we look at this, there's three things under pray secretly. First, prayer is about the Father's approval, not the crowd's. Think about your own prayer life. Some of you who have been Christians for a long time who may have gotten pretty proficient at praying in groups. What's your prayer like privately? Can you take a real honest look about what's going on in your heart when you're praying before the group? Are you thinking about what others are thinking about your prayer? (laughs) Whether you're mature or wise or loving or caring, why are you praying publicly if you never go to prayer privately? Because real prayer is about the Father's approval, not the crowd's. Authentic prayer also comes from the inner person. In the same way the storage room is in the most private section of the house, Christ is helping us understand that's where our prayers come from. It's not just an intellectual practice. It comes from our inner being, from our heart to the heart of God. And then third, God always rewards authentic prayer. That's what he says, right? Let's read it again. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's an interesting play on words. When we pray for show, that's our reward. When we pray from our inner being, When our connection with God is truly a part of who we are, God always rewards that prayer. Now, I want to distinguish between the word reward and answer. It does not say, if you do this right, you'll get what you pray for. It's not what he says. He says, God always rewards authentic prayer. We come to God, we have our best sense of what it is that we need, and we come to Him with that. And God gives us what He knows we need. And they're often two very different things. I think you've heard me tell this story, but it's so perfect right now. When Ella was a small girl, she um, came to me from another room where she was coloring with Anna, and she said, Dad, can I have $2 million? You remember this story? She asked it like, yeah, I'm going to pull out of my pocket right now. Dad, you got $2 million? I laughed and I said, why do you need $2 million? She said, well, because I'm coloring in Anna's coloring book and I asked her for a page and she said, not for a million dollars. Can I have $2 million, Dad? Now, she came to meet her father. It was the right place to come. It never occurred to her that I couldn't meet that need. But did I give her $2 million? Not yet. (laughs) But I did get her her own coloring book. I rewarded her for the coming. This is a very important point that you have to understand. We see prayer as a way to get God to do what we want. That's one of the last reasons why we should be praying. Not to say we shouldn't come to God and ask, but it's one of the last reasons why we should be praying. Prayer itself, when you seek God, you're invoking the presence of God in your life, and God's presence in your life provides, rewards. His presence alone is reward enough. 
But he doesn't just bring his presence, he brings his provision. So I'd much rather have a prayer of dependency on God and then let God provide out of his loving care as he knows I best need. There's this great passage in Romans 8 that I fall back on, especially in those times when I'm praying as a pastor or as a friend for someone, or even in our own family, we're praying for God to do something, and we're just not sure what to ask Him. I used to really worry about that. What's God's will here? What should I be praying? And Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit's job is to take our prayers. We don't know exactly what to pray, it says. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers and intercedes for us and perfects our prayers. I love that thought. I pray as best as I understand. And that means if I'd like to ask God to meet a need a specific way, I'm going to ask Him boldly. But when I'm connected to God, when I'm not just praying for show, when God is connecting with my inner being, when the Father's approval is more important than man's approval, when I'm honestly seeking the Father, and that's the prayer that rises to Him as incense, that's the prayer that the Holy Spirit takes and perfects and prays the Father's will on my behalf. I love that thought. God always rewards authentic prayer. You can count on it. The second thing we see about prayer in here is that we need to learn to pray sincerely. In this case, he compares prayer to the pagans. Now again, the pagans were those that didn't know God. And so prayer was one of their religious activities to try to reach out to God apart from the true path. And so prayer in those settings becomes a very ritualistic thing. Let's read it. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So think about all the different types of repetitive, babbling prayers that are in the world today. I mean, every major religion has its form of repetitive prayer. Consider this. Sections of the Christian world have turned the Lord's Prayer into a tool for vain repetition and babbling. As though just the invocation of the prayer itself has an effect. And what we've learned is that Jesus wasn't focusing on teaching us what to pray in the Lord's Prayer, but teaching us how to pray. Teaching us what prayer is. Let me just give you some examples. Catholicism has the rosary. With great respect to the intent of that and the, the desire to be pious and to remind ourselves. The beads that are in a rosary are very similar to other major world Islam. Praise the Kalima. The declaration of faith, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Over and over again, the prayer beads of Islam. Hinduism has prayer beads. The mantra, over and over again, invoking the name of a God or a deity, especially believing that if they're invoking that name at the moment of their death, then they will pass on to, to whatever heaven is for them. Now, Again, Jesus is not saying that there isn't a place for repeating important prayers that are heartfelt. So when we say the Lord's Prayer in worship, 
and it's heartfelt, I believe we're honoring God. There is a place for repetitive prayer. It's the babbling, it's the meaningless, it's the pointless kind of repetition that Jesus is talking about here, which was as common in the pagan world then as it is common in religions today. There is no value in purposeless incantation, even inside Christendom. But yet there are valuable prayers of repetition. Let me give you one. Around the throne of God, this very moment, our creatures praying, it says, never-ending, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's being prayed constantly, repetitively, but it is not in vain. and It is certainly not babbling. There's a value to prayers like the prayer of serenity in AA. There's a purposeful type of repetitive prayer. My kids grew up with a certain prayer that began as just one night I prayed it over my kids, and then I prayed it another night, and then I prayed it another night, and it became the prayer. Anna? There it is. Started with Tommy. One night I put my hand on his head and I say, Lord Jesus, help Tommy to have sweet dreams. Help him to grow up to love you and to serve you and tell others about you. I prayed it every night. My kids went to bed and I put them down. Every single night. Sometimes I still sneak into Ella's room who's living at home and I pray that prayer over her. I want you to know something. Every night I prayed it. I meant it. And you know what? My kids have grown to love God and to serve God and to tell other people about Him. I'm not saying that to brag or take I want to brag on my kids, but not brag about our parenting because we were as flawed as everybody else. So please understand, I'm not saying there isn't value in repeating meaningful prayers. And you see that in Scripture. But that's different than thinking prayer is profitable just by virtue of incanting over and over again these prayers. Jesus says they're pointless. And what the pagan world thinks is I'm going to get something from God out of it. He says that's not going to happen. So we need to learn to pray sincerely. Two points under that. Authentic prayer is not filled with repetitive ritual or jargon. Second, therefore, if you want to know how to talk to God, say what you mean and mean what you say. There you go. There's your lesson on authentic prayer for today. (laughs) Say what you mean and mean what you say. A little reveal about next week. Prayer is all about relationship. And when you're in relationship with somebody... Like, I don't sit down with Vit and begin with, Oh, my most wonderful bride, today I bless thee and ask thou to bless me with uh, pleasantries throughout the day. And um, when you're in a relationship with somebody, that creates a certain intimacy that you say what you mean and you mean what you say. Right? Jesus is saying, Just be real. Just be real about it. A third thing that comes out of this, and this is going to take a little bit of explanation, is that not only are we to pray, secretly, which means I need to have a heart of prayer. If I'm not praying in my private life and I'm not a person of prayer, and prayers for the Father's approval, not man's, I need to pray sincerely. I'm saying what I mean and I'm meaning what I say to the Father. But then also, I need to pray specifically. Now, this is more implied because we're about to go and study very specific things that Jesus said are about prayer. There is a specific nature to how we're to pray. 
It's not just up to us to say what comes to our mind. One healthy thing in terms of our spiritual disciplines or our spiritual rhythms is to not think of them as our invention, but as God's gift. For example, worship. We didn't invent worship. God did. It's His gift to us. So therefore, when we talk about what proper worship is, we don't have to figure it out by trial and error. What we ask is, what is God looking for when we worship Him? Because it's His gift to us. Faith. I don't have to create faith. Faith is God's gift to me. And my question shouldn't be, do I have faith? The question is, where am I putting my faith? What does God want me to do with my faith? Prayer is the same thing. Prayer is God's gift to you. We didn't invent it. He did. He gave it to us because He created us for relationship with Him. So when we pray, it's not what makes you feel great. It's not what makes, makes you happy. What is God looking for? How does God want me to pray to Him? There are specific things that Jesus reveals to us that have to be part of the prayer that the Father intended for us. We're going to get into that more next week, but I want to address what appears to be a contradiction to that, and that's the last phrase of our passage today. Do not be like the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And what that begs is this question. If God already knows, then why are we asking? If God already knows what I need, He already knows what's going on in my life, what He wants to do in my life, then why am I supposed to ask? That's what we're going to learn as we go forward. Asking God, its ultimate end is not that we would receive from God, because Scripture promises that if we're God's children, He is going to care for us. He's going to meet our needs. He's going to provide for us. We're going to end reading the rest of chapter 6, and we'll see a teaching on that very thing. God cares for us. He meets our needs. And so if that's true, there's more to asking than just receiving. Prayer strengthens our bond with God, and it deepens our dependence on Him. What we're going to see as we come to the Lord's Prayer, we get to these very specific things that Jesus said are part of our requests. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. When we deal with those, what we're going to recognize is that in the asking, we're acknowledging our utter need of God to come into our lives, to invade our lives, and to address these issues that we're helpless without it. And so the asking, how we pray, deepens our connection with God, and therefore we need to pay attention to what Jesus said when we move to verse 9 and says, this then is how you should pray. So my hope is that motivates you for the next leg of the journey next week. But I want to end today just by focusing on this idea of our Heavenly Father knowing our needs by reading beginning at verse 25 of the same chapter, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Listen, the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So your job is to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Great reminder of a God who loves us, who cares about us. And even when we ask Him, we're simply saying we trust You. We're bringing it to You to remind ourselves that You're the great provider. And our job, even in how we pray, is to first and foremost seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let's be about that this week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I feel like it's just a little primer. We're wetting our appetite, waiting for the main course as we learn what you meant when you said, this then is how you should pray. But sometimes you need to break down our presumptions first in order to get us to reality. And that's what I ask you to do, whether it's hypocrisy that drives us or, or tradition and our own form of paganism or our misconceptions or formed ideas, whatever it is, Father, that would keep us from really embracing this incredible gift you've given us, prayer, as a vehicle to intimacy with you and life with you. Break us of that. Teach us to pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.